welcome everyone to the First Name Basis Podcast. I'm your host, Sheetal Jaitley, the CEO of Tribal Scale. Here is where I bring people who I find doing really cool stuff in the world of tech and innovation. And with me today, I got a good friend. I always seem to have a good friend, but here today I got a really special friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Sarah Saska. She's a CEO and co-founder of Feminuity. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you on. This is something that we've been planning for months. Um, I'm glad we found time in our busy schedule to uh, to do this. And you've been extremely busy uh, more recently, and we're going to get to that. And let's talk to let's talk about why that's that that's happening. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, would love our listeners to get to know you a little more, just like I know you. Yeah, totally. And so, I mean, I can't compete with the radio voice that you have. So I'm I got sorry, a Hollywood y'all. face. This is also <laughs> goes on video, right? <laughs> uh, so, so hi all. Uh, my name is Sarah. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, so, yeah, I'm the co-founder and CEO of an organization called Feminuity. Uh, so, years ago now, um, when I was in my PhD, I was poking around and doing some research. Um, and I learned that car accidents are the leading cause of death related to maternal trauma. So translation, when someone who is pregnant gets into a car crash, there's a really, really high likelihood that they'll lose their unborn fetus. Um, and I was really struck by this, right? I wanted to know why. I wanted to know what the heck was going on. Um, and so it turned out that car crash safety testing was done using male-bodied crash test dummies as the default or the norm. Right. And so this practice comes from wartime, right? When men were the ones predominantly behind the wheel. Yeah. But, you know, if we fast forward to present day, uh, this means that anyone who deviates from 180 pounds sort of male frame is less safe in, in a vehicle. Um, so this is really very much a deep-seated gender-related bias, size-related bias that, that stems from the automotive industry. Which is causing um, a lot of hurt and pain for many people because... That's not the norm, right? Totally. Like, obviously, you drive. I, I, you know, I'm not even 180 pounds. I drive. Um, but definitely, like, a pregnant, uh, pregnant female is, is something that needs the utmost safety, especially the way our society views pregnant women, right? Like, we want to make sure that everything is taken care of and they're kept safe all for the health of the child. For sure. Yeah. Um, and when I was in grad school and, and looking at the research at the time, even, even Tesla, right? Like a player that's considered to be wildly disruptive was using male body crash test dummies as their norm, right? So mm-hmm. if it was happening in the automotive industry and players like Tesla were, were not sort of questioning this practice, it made me wonder, you know, what the heck is going on in, in other sort of areas of the tech and innovation sector? Um, you know, where were the gaps, where are the biases, like where were the blind spots, right? right? Um, so, you know, I looked around lots of places, right. And found, found a range of things, right. From facial recognition software that didn't detect, um, racialized people's faces properly, or weren't able to distinguish between Asian people's faces, um, to natural language processing that doesn't recognize different types of dialects, right. That really considered that North American sort of um, accent as the default or the norm. Sure. Um, and then to things that are even scarier, like risk assessment algorithms that disproportionately assign high cre- high crime risk scores to Black people in Black communities. 
So, so you saw all these like issues happening out there and you're in the middle of your PhD and you start like realizing, Hey, there's a whole segment of a large segment of this population beyond just pregnant females that are completely being left out of, of products and services that are being offered to everyone. And so what was like the light bulb that went in your head? Like, what did you say? You said, okay, what am I going to go and do? Yeah, I think just in the middle of my PhD, I was just like, okay, so who's who's dealing with this? Like, who's who's sort of solving for this problem? Um, and to me, I I didn't see anyone really thinking about it in the way that we were, well, that I was thinking about at the time. So, I, I put my PhD on pause. Uh, I joined Marge Discovery District in their sort of their fellowship, like their innovation accelerator program for a year. Okay. Um, and that and the, and the research ultimately became the inspiration for femininity. Um, wow. So that's, I mean, that, that's a big thing for you to say, Hey, I'm doing this PhD and I'm actually going to put it on pause. Like you have that entrepreneurial bug. You're like, I got a big problem I found that I want to go solve. Totally. And academics didn't know what the heck to do with me. Right. Cause a lot of academics, you know, not that many academics have sort of started a thing, right. right many kind right. of came up in the, the ivory tower and, you know, don't, don't peek their heads out too right. often. So <laughs> right. I was definitely the black sheep. Okay. So then you went and you went to Mars and you went to, sorry, you said you went somewhere else too. No, I, I, I spent a year there um, okay. and that's, that's where we were, we were backed and launched in the early days. Okay. So how did you say, Hey, I'm going to actually turn this into a business. Cause there's always a big stretch for an entrepreneur to say, Hey, I got this, found this problem. How do I turn this into a solution that's actually going to become a business, especially when nobody's looking for it. Nobody's even asking for it, but you have found a big issue. I think for me, it was just really stubborn. Um, I was just like, I know this is a problem. I, I'm, I'm quantifying it. I'm, I'm yeah. seeing different examples pop up. And, you know, this was also really at a time where the, you know, tech and innovation uh, sectors were, you know, really on their come you, up, especially in North America. Um, because if you gosh. think about it in today's time, you definitely realize, yeah. oh, there's a huge need for what Sarah does. But like, I think you got to put it into context as to when this was happening. Yeah. So this is around 2010. So okay. a, a good decade ago now. Yeah. When, okay. when everything was sort of, you know, in motion to, to sort of start. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Um, so you go through the program. What did you start? What did you start noticing? Like as you, as you started building femininity, like what, what were some of the challenges that came in front of you and how did you start finding opportunities for you to actually provide a service to customers? Uh, well, I think at a, at a really high level, one of the, the biggest learnings was just how ill-equipped academics or like graduate programs uh, leave academics uh, to actually jump into entrepreneurship. Um, I think that's definitely changed uh, since, since then, right? Now that universities really want people to translate their research into practice, but, mm -hmm. you know, I had to learn how to say things in more simple terms, right? I couldn't uh, submit a 200-page a document to make yeah. my case, right? So sure. <laughs> mastering that the that sort of elevator pitch and, and translating the research into practice was was a pretty steep learning curve. Um, so it, I mean we're talking a decade, so you've obviously did like seen a lot and done a lot as you're doing it. What was it like to like start figuring out like when you were pre-revenue startup or even started speaking to some other startups saying, hey, this is these are things you need to be considering and you know, especially when you're talking to startups, they're like, I got to run a million miles an hour. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Right? Like, how did you break through that wall of communication and be like, hey, we, we're actually here to solve a major problem. And, you know, 
we're going to give you, I, I believe firmly you give insight into the blinders that most people have when they're working in the business world. Yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, being in the Canadian context, like as a, you know, Toronto founded Canadian uh, startup at the time, I thought we would have lots of interest uh, from Canadian tech, like the Canadian innovation sector, but, but we didn't. It's almost like, you know, Canadian tech really likes to talk about the fact that diversity is our strength, right? Anytime, yeah. you know, things are going yeah. a little bit, uh, getting a bit weird south of the border. Right, like the Canadian we're like, tech oh, we're likes to Canada, say, we're different. "Hey, come yeah, here!" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's something that really we need to call bullshit on, right? Okay. Like we 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 scream it from the rooftops, but actually, the Canadian tech sector, at least at that time, they no one was willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually do any of this work in an intentional way. The idea was because we have such a diverse population and in, in Toronto and in Canada that therefore we're just good, like that somehow mm. that would translate you know, into industry and, and that wasn't happening. So our first client, well, my first client was, um, gosh, the Vietnamese government doing policy work on their innovation and entrepreneurship policy. So it and didn't come from Canada. No. And then I was <laughs> in Sri Lanka, uh, and Jordan and, and India working in the garment manufacturing uh, sector. Um, and then in China, uh, in Japan and, and then the Valley and then in time, we made our way to Canada. And I mean, now we have, well, you know, you that? I always, I, I have my own. And I mean, for those listeners who listen to this podcast, I have my own um, thoughts on why it's so hard to start out here in Canada. But what was like, why do you, why do you feel that happened for you? I don't know. I really still think that people hide behind the whole diversity is their strength here. Uh, and so therefore they think they don't actually have problems or like they don't need to do the work. Um, that's that's I guess that's that's sort of been my working hypothesis. But what's what's your thought on that? You know, my 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 thought on that is that Canadians are so risk adverse, and yeah. they always want to see a proven blueprint somewhere else before they go ahead and take the first step. And when you're going into an area that's considered super new, and we we get up there and scream from the rooftops that we're multicultural and we don't have a problem, that you know they were just. Well, we don't like they, they, they still had their blinders on until they actually go and see real life problems that have come out there. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff you found beyond just the, the car manufacturer um, issue that we were talking about. I mean, you talked a little about natural language processing and, and facial recognition, but like we, there's some pretty big case studies out there right now of companies that are really effed up, right? Um, so what, so let's, let, let's get to the mission of femininity. What's, what's, what's the mission of the company right now? I'd say, you know, since day one, uh, our mission has, has really held true. Um, we've always looked to make better things like products that are ethical and inclusive and accessible and that actually meet the needs of a diverse and global customer base. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond making better things, we also want to make things better uh, for everyone, right? And when we say everyone, we mean everyone. Um, so we want to do that through the types of technologies and innovations that we build um, and also through the design of the workplaces, right? What does that UX, that lived experience look like on any given day when you're working within an organization, right? We don't want, we don't want workplaces where people sort of have to survive them on any given day. We want places where people can actually thrive. Awesome. So, I mean, it's, so it's twofolded, right? And I think this was one of the big eye openers when I first met you and we started talking. It wasn't just about 
how do you hire a diverse workforce? How do you even go out of your comfort zone and making your place more inclusive? Everybody kind of thinks of their own people when it comes to this, but it's really, how are you going to build a proper ethical product? And if you look in today's world, like we have this, this, this conversation about ethical design and ethical productization is, is, is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And companies like Facebook are probably the easiest ones to pick on because everybody uses the product and sees so many issues with it. Um, so, We've witnessed a huge change in the last couple of months, um, you know, and it really started stemming from diversity, inclusive motivations that are that, that that people that people have to actually go and be more inclusive. But really, it was we're in COVID and Black Lives Matter hits us, right? The death of George Floyd was like a huge eye opener saying we can't just sit back and be like, hey, let's ignore this problem. We actually have to really stand up and fight for solving this problem because change is just not going to happen on its own. So talk to me a bit a little bit about like what's been happening since that whole movement has happened the last past in the past six or seven months. Well, I'd say like the last six, seven months have been a ride. Um, <laughs> definitely a journey, not for the faint of heart. Um, I'd say like at the start of, of COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic in about March or so in the, in the DNI space, diversity inclusion space, um, we witnessed our pipeline pretty much evaporate overnight. We saw, you know, across North America, we saw chief diversity officers or people in related roles get laid off, um, you know, individual practitioners. So this was like the first budget to get cut. Oh, the gosh, yeah. Fit, right? Like, totally. Yeah. They, they what, besides this, like your SNAP this budget? A, this is a nice to have. We don't need it. Which is probably the opposite. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. I would argue that in, yeah. in, in the midst of a global pandemic, you actually need this type of support more than ever before, right. especially with, you know, organizations that were shifting to become wholly remote for the first time ever, like accessibility issues just like came to the surface in a way that, that we'd never could have predicted. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we saw yeah, budgets just get wiped out, practitioners laid off, um, CDOs at like some of the largest corporations around the world lose their job overnight. Um, but we still had tons and tons of inbound requests um, mm -hmm. because people were struggling. Like people needed resources, they needed support. Um, and it was so much of it was pro bono. And we were totally cool with that. Um, from my perspective, I didn't take a salary. I committed to my whole team. Hey, I was going to keep everybody on and honor all of our commitments. Sure. And we just said, we're going to just, we're going to be a supportive. We're just going to support orgs in real time. Right. Cause that's, right. that's what we're here for. And, uh, we did that. There's a, but there's a fine line, right, Sarah, to that. I think, you know, one of the frustrations I see from hanging out with you and going out with you is anytime you meet another executive, all they want to do is like get brain drain from you because they just want free advice all the time, right? And there's, there's got to be a balance as to like, when does that stop? And I know your generous nature. You're like, hey, I got to go and support you no matter what, right? And that's, that's something that you, that you always do. But how, how does... Like, how does one in the situation in the pandemic, I know, you know, you've, you've stepped up to help these organizations out, but at what point do you say, hey, you know, I'm, I can't keep investing in you without eating myself? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I'm a saver, right? So I, I've always made sure we always have a good runway. Like, mm -hmm. we can always sustain ourselves for a year, year and a half or so as an organization. Um, I mean, in my perfect world, all this, this work is just, you know, completely open source, but, but at the same time, like wanting to balance the tension, 
for to get organizations to understand this is real work like this is a real skill set you cannot just make it up on the fly sure. or hey you can't just <laughs> like we're, we're in real time we're watching so many folks get appointed to cbo roles uh, for the first time without any background or expertise in the, in the field and they are spiraling um yeah. so yeah it's definitely attention um we'll always be really generous with with sharing whatever we can open sourcing resources that sort of thing um but uh, we're, we're getting better. We're getting better. And we're also yeah. sort of teaching corporations that, that this is real work. And I think they're in the last few months, they're starting to get that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but it's odd, right? Like uh, we're, we're talking about, Hey, demand has gone through the roof and at the same time, budgets have gone down. And so it's, 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 it's a weird storm to be in. It's a super weird storm. Yeah. I'd say like, after um, the day after the murder of, of George Floyd, we saw our inbound requests shoot up by um, over 800%. And, wow. that's just, and that has actually sustained for the past four months. Like our inbound has never quieted because of, you know, all that was happening at the start of COVID and the ways people were struggling. But then it, it shot up even more so um, with the rise um, of, of the Black Lives Matter movement for sure. And okay, so you know, what are like some of the requests that they're seeing? Like, what are what are they what are they asking of you? Um, what are what are some things you share with with the people who are flooding you with these requests? Uh, definitely a lot of requests for for training, like educational endeavors, like foundational conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion, allyship, that sort of thing. Um, anything that's related to, say, anti-Black racism or anti-Indigenous racism, for example, we, we refer out to, to practitioners. Certainly a lot of requests around that. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things I'm really glad to see is that organizations have been uh, really intentional, intentional about wanting to do assessments. So really fulsome, like 360 um, assessments of their orgs. That's, that's been another pretty significant request. Sure. Yeah, I know my mom was, uh, she was doing a survey the other day. I won't mention the company she works for, but she was doing a survey the other day. And she's like, never in my whole career of over 40 years have I been asked these questions about like, have I ever felt I was in a situation where I've been stereotyped against? She's like, why are they only waking up to ask me this now? I really needed them years ago. Um, and, I, and, I, and I sat her down and said, hey, you know, there's a real movement now that I'll figure out. Is this like where the problems lie? Um, within your large organization, and this is a safe place for you to actually tell to tell to say, tell the truth. So you should you should continue doing that. Um, so assessments are one thing, and then how do you go about like helping afterwards? I think that's where the the hard part and the real real work really starts, right? Not to say that that's not real work, but now that you know you got a problem in these areas, what do you how, how do you go about fixing it? So like, what are some of the what are some of the tools and things you use to to, to start helping an organization? get back on the right path. Yeah, so once we've done a really fulsome assessment of an organization, right, we have their quantitative data, their qualitative, we've reviewed their supplementary pieces. Um, you know, we, we share really robust findings reports with a, a whole range of recommendations. And then if, if the organization already has a chief diversity officer and like a fulsome team, which in the US is very much the norm, in Canada, Shopify is the only Canadian tech company uh, that has uh, the equivalent of a CDO and, and Folsom team. Like that's how okay. different those markets are. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
Um, but once, once we have a really fulsome assessment, then we either work with their embedded leads or we help them design like a, a, a DNI council of sorts mm-hmm. um, that's representative of the organization from different departments, levels of seniority, um, skills, expertise, that sort of thing. And we, we go through a co-design process with them where we take all the data, we take all the inputs, and we actually develop a really feasible uh, strategy with them. And then we run it, uh, we draw an agile methodology and we run that, that, that council, that group in sprints and we get shit done. I like it. We, we speak their language. But the, I mean, the, the, cool, the cool thing is like we're working with you like an organization actually gets hard deliverables, like whether it be your assessment or then you running these programs in this council, it all, if you're running an agile methodology, it's like, hey, we're delivering and we're, getting, we're iterating and we're getting better and better as we go along, which is really, really, really cool. Um, one of the things that I hear, um, you know, over a beer, it's usually another dude and I'm sitting with at a bar and I know you've heard it with me too because it, it's, it's said openly, but not, not as openly, but saying, hey, I think we're over-indexing. We're over-indexing the wrong way. Um, what do you say to that? Do you mean like in terms of like over-indexing on yeah, gender or like... Yeah, we're like this whole, like even on like the Black Lives Matter thing or anything, whenever we start talking about diversity or inclusion or equal rights or gay rights or whatever it may be, I think those are the two common quote unquote things I hear from people who just don't want to put the effort into making it better, right? I think it's like they say, hey, we're over-indexing. What is a good rebuttal back to to that. I know I got mine. I mean, I, I start sharing our personal experiences of what we've gone through. Um, but I would like, what does someone like you say to them? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're talking about like, we're just, you know, the organization is just over indexing by just like doing too much as it relates to diversity inclusion related efforts. Um, th- that's one thing, but if they're, if their critique is a bit more specific, like we're over indexing on, you know, advancing women within our organization or really, really focused on the conversation pertaining to racial inequity right now. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm, I'm kind of, of of two minds, right? Like absolutely from the perspective of social justice, like we know that at certain times in the world, we need to center particular conversations because certain people are hurting. Right. right. So that's, you know, that's very much why, you know, black lives, matter and and all lives matter is is certainly should not be the conversation um however in the context of the workplace um the field of diversity inclusion is about balancing the needs uh, of of everyone right so the queer community uh, racialized folks folks living with different types of disabilities newcomers immigrants like everybody and so um i do think that whenever in the context of an organization um, we've seen it with the, the the really significant push around women in tech. Whenever you focus on sort of only one particular group, you leave a lot of others behind. So I actually am not a huge proponent of women first or gender first approaches to this work. Um, I think you need to take a deeply intersectional lens, right? That we're balancing the needs of, of, of any and working to advance everything around ability as much as we are around gender and race sort of in a simultaneously. So. Um, that's like what you just said there is like not what you hear many, many say, right? It's a very different type of opinion of like looking at it from a completely different lens of saying, hey, I think what we got to do is look at a much larger problem here of how we can make, make, make it more fair for all rather than just one sub, sub of that problem, right? Totally. Like if we look 
if we look to the early days of Lean In, right, like Sheryl Sandberg's um, initiative, right, that she she launched years ago now, um, Lean In ultimately, um, you know, there were Lean In circles and initiatives that happened across workplaces all over North America and I'm sure well beyond. Um, but ultimately, those initiatives, at least in the early days, really only supported white women, like white, cisgender, probably heterosexual, uh, non-disabled women, right? They did not properly support a whole range of other women. Sure. Um, and so that sucks, right? Like that's not the move. And in fact, I feel like we're cleaning up <laughs> in a lot of the work we do, we clean up for a lot of those efforts, right? right? Because there's been so many, you know, racialized women, queer women, like other women who've been left behind. Um, but so that's why for us, like gender first women only, nope, not the way to go. We, we sure. absolutely use an intersectional approach to how we um, approach our work. All right. Um, so you see this uptick in um, DNI efforts everywhere. Um, is it all being good, bad, something in between? What are you seeing? What are the trends happening in the industry right now? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've absolutely had a ton of knee-jerk reactions, right? We've had organizations reply on emails of proposals that we sent like a year and a half, two years ago, overnight, and then want to start yesterday. Um, so it's a really good lesson as an entrepreneur. Hey, always put dates on your proposals, right? Those prices that you sent two years ago. Nope. Those don't, those don't apply now. Um, and I mean, even now with your demand, I mean, you just, just even, I'm so happy you were able to take an hour out of your time to spend it with me right now, but like your calendar is just packed, right? So they, you can't be discounting your work and your effort. Um, if it's not for the right reason. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so lots of knee-jerk reactions, lots of organizations that are still looking for that like one and done sort of tick box kind of effort. Um, so in real time, we've had to get really intentional about our intake process, right? We've become very particular about the organizations that we, we choose to take on because we certainly cannot, <laughs> we uh, can't well, say yes to all. Are you, are, you, are you interviewing clients? Like it's, it's the other way around. They're not interviewing you. You're actually interviewing them if they'd be ready for someone like yourself and your team to go work with them. Totally. We have a pretty intensive intake process now and then a really sort of robust like referral process. So sometimes, you know, different projects just actually don't really play to our strengths as well. So we also refer those out. Okay. Um, but if, if organizations are really doing something in a knee jerk sort of tokenistic manner, yeah, we don't want to be part of it. And say, hey, we did it. Like, look, we did this. So everybody just stop. We're moving on. That's totally. Not, that's not that's not for you. No, it, it, it's, it's not at our core. It doesn't feel right for us. It's also a great way to ruin our brand, right? We're, we're, very, we're very about quality and integrity. So. Um, but so, and then there's also been a lot of organizations, I think some feel like they're scared, in, like some are scared into a corner for sure. Um, and then there's lots who actually are like, you know what, we've wanted to do this for a long time. Finally, we have the buy-in. Finally, the budget has like, you know, reappeared and, and there's a lot that are really digging in and, and doing the work in a really awesome way right now. So, so that's awesome. Um, but we're also, one, one thing you said is like, some are just scared into a corner. If they were scared into a corner, were they that dumb? They didn't realize they had a problem before. Um, I think it's I just think sort like of if you're, like, if you're being scared into the corner now, it's only because people are speaking up, but the root of the problem is probably always there. Totally. It's always been there. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when CEOs come to me and say like, oh gosh, like one of our former employees or employee, like took to Twitter. Right. And now they're just like, they're bashing our organization on Twitter. Um, 
usually once we actually dig in and talk about it a little bit more, that person actually tried to bring that feedback up to their manager, to other people on their team, or to that CEO or that leader in different ways. And there just wasn't a pathway. Like no one was, no one was hearing them. They weren't being listened to. Um, And then, you know, in this political climate, a lot of folks feel like, you know what, screw it. I'm just, I'm going to share what's right for me. So um, more often than not, I, I don't find people, you know, people don't go straight to like putting people on blast. They don't go straight to Twitter, right? They usually do try a lot of other yeah. channels. And I mean, putting, putting, like going out and putting yourself out there in a social way, like on Twitter, those people who are going and doing that are probably risking a lot themselves because they know Absolutely. Like, the blow, like that is not a comfortable position to be in. No. No, that's why I think for many folks, it, it, it really sincerely feels like a last resort, right? Like they're, that they're not being heard and it's pretty critical to them. So, and I think once, once leaders start to understand through that frame, they, they tend to soften, right? And, and that's usually when we can help them to build a bridge, right? And have a real conversation. For sure. So you, you, we also were talking about, there's a lot of technologies coming out now that um, yeah. are supposed to help you solve these problems. And one of the things I know you, when you and I were chatting about this podcast last week, we were like, sometimes the technology or product you're implementing is already biased and it's doing actually you probably more of a disservice than good. So like, A, let's talk about like some of the technologies that are out there. Um, and then B, if you are going to be like looking for a technology solution to this problem, what you should be looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the rise of diversity, inclusion and in tech is, is pretty wild right now. Um, these technologies are looking at everything from who gets hired to who gets fired. Um, tech technologies are determining who can even see a job ad in the first place. Um, they're, they're playing with um, who gets paid and, and how much and who gets promoted. Uh, so it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and like anecdotally, I can tell you, like I've been asked by probably a dozen VCs in the last few months um, to either advise on their latest DNI technology effort, or like we've been offered money, um, be, and largely because they want us to build out a platform, right? They want us to take our existing sort of research-centered, consulting-centered IP and and build into some platform that they can monetize and scale. Um, and I get it, right? It's super, it's intuitively appealing to look to technology to support DNI efforts, um, for sure. And I also have a ton of empathy for the fact that there's so many organizations who want to do this work, um, have the political pressure going to do this work, yeah. um, but they're also super cash strapped. And especially with the impending second wave, like that's real. Like I, I, I totally understand that. Like mm-hmm. third party consultants, yeah, they're, they're expensive. They're a cost, right? Sure. So, um, but but really like i i really take major issue like at at the heart of the work that we do right we know that we need to be really intentional and careful with how we build design and leverage technologies in the first place and so trying to solve diversity equity and inclusion challenges right challenges that are deeply complex and and deeply human-centered with technology is very much at odds for me um and I had, there was one VC that, that called me a Luddite when I turned down their offer uh, to build a platform. And uh, it was a really funny moment for me. Because yeah. uh, I think like the understanding of the word itself, um, Luddite is for those who are deemed to be out of touch with technology or they have a disdain for technology. 
but that's not really accurate. Um, like, so the origin of the actual word, um, so there was an iconic revolt against machines with a group of folks, English textile workers in 19th century okay. England. And ultimately what they were doing is they were protesting the social cost of technological process at the time, um, largely those that were impacting working class folks mm -hmm. um, that they were sort of being forced to accept. And so this group, the Luddites, they were concerned ultimately with how machinery was being rolled out without any consideration for the negative impact on people and on society more broadly. Um, so I think this history reinforces the fact that we need to be a lot more careful and a lot more democratic in our approach to technology, right? We need to, you know, to, to think about ethics and injustice and how we design it and, and build it. So so with that VC calling me a Luddite, I, like, it, it makes me laugh. Like, yeah, I am a Luddite because I deeply care and I, I deeply love technology, but I think we need to be really careful with it. So there's, there's a couple things I just want to touch on um, there. Do you see um, a day where, you do, where, where, your, where your research and frameworks would be able to be leveraged by technology and you would be able to say, hey, you know, almost like the American Standard Association be like, hey, this has the femininity stamp of approval. We've actually, you know, have vetted this to actually with our research and with what we know to actually roll out. Um, so that's, I guess, my first question. Like, what do, like, do you see a world where you're able to be, gonna be on the right path to go do that? Um, I see major need for um, M&As in the DNI and HR tech space. Because right now, a lot of our clients, what we find is that there's a lot of good things coming from a lot of different types of tools. Um, however, the average organizations who actually is trying to be really intentional with this, they're on like 10 to 12 different platforms, which are all doing one small piece uh, of the puzzle. And so that's a pain. Um, and we, so in my mind, it's less about needing lots of new tech. It's about bringing some of the really awesome solid ones together under one roof okay right? so i think it's because it's it's a feel in, in its infancy right that we're seeing you know all these all these uh, sort of startups trying to solve for like one small piece of it when realistically you know that's just that's a pain right who wants to have 12 subscriptions when you could have one i like it i like it um before we get into some like case studies type, type stuff i'm gonna take a pause here from talking about diversity and inclusion i'm gonna throw some fastball questions at you whatever okay <laughs> And I've been doing this with everyone just so, uh, just so we get to know you better. Um, so I'm going to make it really easy for you with the first one. What's your favorite food? My favorite food? Uh, anything with olives. Anything with olives? <laughs> Not the steak I made you? <laughs> you know, that was pretty, pretty good. And, and Gordon's still chewing on the, the bone from that tomahawk. tomahawk but... <laughs> Um, if you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? In real time right now? Mm -hmm. Gosh. You know, I, I'd take anywhere that a plane would take me right now. Um, uh, let's say Maldives. The Maldives. I can want to go on the beach in that crystal blue water. <laughs> and before it, you know, disappears and goes under with climate change. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. I still haven't been. I'm dying to go. Um, all right. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? I don't know. Can I go TV show? Sure. Give a Sh Shit's Creek. 
so Six proud. Feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and last but not least, I want to promote a small business. What's a restaurant you want to go promote? Where would you go eat and bring your friends to go eat? Mm. Gosh. Oh, there's this indigenous owned um, restaurant. I think it's on Dundas or Adelaide. Gosh, the name escapes me right now, but I can get back to you on it. All right. Google it before we're done. You got to <laughs> plug it. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get back. Um, so I wanted to go, you, you and I, um, in preparing for the podcast, talked about a couple of examples of like what's happened. And one of them was with Amazon. You want to walk us through your Amazon example that we were, we were discussing? Yeah, I think um, Amazon's AI resume screen tool really, really speaks to why DNI tech is, is really a complex field, right? That needs to be sure. <laughs> taken really seriously. Um, so, I mean, this was all over the news maybe a year and a half or so ago. Um, but so in an attempt to solve the problem of bias and discrimination and recruitment um, and, you know, the whole process of sort sorting through job applications, Amazon built an AI resume screening tool, right? They want something more objective, more efficient. But what they noticed really quickly was that the system is screening out resumes from women. Um, and so even if a resume had like, you know, women's chess club or women's college or something like that um, indicated in, in the copy. That and the was the AI works. that was just naturally doing that? Like it, it just started doing that because I guess it was taking human behavior and trying to mimic that? Like what was, why, why did that start happening? It was because of the data, like the training sets um, that they use for the machine learning. Um, so, you know, you know, the classic uh, sort of expression, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? Like yeah. the, the data sets that they had from years prior were that of resumes largely from men, right? Sure. So that was the data set that they trained. Um, it's AI. The, the ML, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, Amazon was, was really vocal about this. They were very quick to actually scrap the tool. And they were kind of the first to admit that, you know, as, as such a well-resourced company, they, they were pretty frank about saying you cannot engineer objectivity, right? So they won't touch this. They're not using this. They're not doing this. And yet in real time, we're watching small startups be funded by Canadian VCs who are trying to mimic the same technology. So explain that to me. I don't know. Wow. And, and for a company like Amazon, who we think, oh, has this evil master plan to take over the world. And let's face it, they are taking over the world. But like for them to public, this is something they could have brushed under the rug and like just been like, let's not talk about it. Let's go back to how we used to do things. But they publicly came out and said, hey, we, 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 we fucked up. Like we got we, we, we to gotta tell the world, hey, this, this is a system that's not necessarily going to work. Um, and here's our lessons learned. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You got more. Give me more examples. Well, I think another another thing that's really kind of coming up in the DNI tech, like HR tech right now, um, are things like ZipRecruiter. Um, so what we're what we're learning, right, is that bias can occur before someone even applies for a job. So ZipRecruiter or other job boards, they help us to understand recruiter preferences and to actually solicit applications to match with them. Um, and these set these systems are set up to make predictions based on patterns and user behavior, and they update dynamically as employers and job seekers interact. Um, but so, if a recruitment practice has a pre-existing bias, such as say an organization hiring predominantly say white men, 
then the algorithm will actually look for proxies of these characteristics. So they'll end up replicating these patterns in, in their recommendations. Yeah. So in this, you know, in this sense, this is actively contributing to the exclusion of other groups. Um, so a lot of folks just won't be considered for these opportunities. They won't see these jobs in the first place. Yeah, you, I mean, how do you even solve a problem if they can't even see it to apply? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, what, the, the next one you want to talk a little bit about pay equity. Yeah, so increasingly we're seeing a lot of folks try to sort of solve the problem of pay inequity uh, through DNI or HR related tech. Um, but once we know is that, like what we know ultimately is that um, if a data set shows that women are often paid less money than say men, or you know, if you know white women are often paid more than say racialized women mm -hmm. um, within that organization, then the algorithm will identify this pattern or these types of patterns and perpetuate these pay inequities in the offer that it actually proposes to candidates. Um, and what's even more worrying is that because of under the guise of like objectivity, because you know these these recommendations are coming from a tech platform that people themselves aren't questioning them, right? They're over, it's just sort of an oversight. Yeah. Um, which means that organizations- call the system, This is what the system told me to do, so I just did it. Like, it, there is no bias in it, but yet the system's being biased on its own. Totally, and this yeah. can totally circumvent, like, laws that actually protect um, equal or equitable pay. So, <laughs> it's really counterintuitive. Okay, and we were talking earlier about facial recognition. Like, what's a good example of like the facial recognition issues that we're seeing? Yes, I mean, there's 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 so many big, complex, messy ones right now, right, as it relates to to China and beyond. But in in the context of the workplace, uh, one that's really interesting and seemingly innocuous is is that of Zoom, right? So just this past week, there was a professor who was on a Zoom call, I believe, with another professor. Um, and the, the one guy was uh, a white guy and the other guy was a racialized man, uh, a black man. And his, his face literally, his head was literally cut off in the zoom screen when he actually used one of the backgrounds. Um, so <laughs> this yeah. is a problem. Like we noticed this at the top of COVID once we really started to use zoom a lot more, sure. um, that we were, whenever would, someone would use a background on our team, that some of the folks in our team are racialized, that their, their faces would like blotch yeah, you start out. Blurring out. You start, yeah, you start yeah. becoming the background. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, I, I, I suspect you might end up experiencing that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, luckily for me, it's been working okay, but it happens. <laughs> it does happen. And I think, I mean, lighting, all these things kind of come into play. For sure. Um, but, I mean, so there's, you know, things like that, which is just, you know, Zoom has not figured out yet. Um, but also, what we've also noticed is that there's been an increasing rise in like companies wanting to, like, monitor people, right? There's a lot of leaders out there who simply don't trust this work-from-home model yet, right? And they think that people aren't being productive, all those kind of things. And a lot of companies have started to use different types of um, like monitoring, surveillance, like facial recognition type software to actually monitor their people while they work. Um, really? So there's, yes. <laughs> if you, if like, I'm, a, I'm of the belief that if you can't trust the person who you've hired to actually get the job done, then why are they working with you? Right? Doesn't like it doesn't make sense. I know us at tribal scale, we've I feel um, we're we're on the opposite end of that spectrum where I feel like because we've been at home, we're we're being overworked. 
Um, I, you know, I, I, we gotta, you know, I just, before, before we jumped on this podcast, we had this thing called coffee buddies and it's like, you jump on a zoom with someone else and you, if you don't talk about work, you just talk about everything else in life. And like, it's important to go and start taking breaks. I feel it's, it's going the other way, but I can't even imagine trying to say, Hey, we're implementing this facial recognition software that's going to monitor you at your laptop or at your desk and make sure you're working. It's pretty big brother and stupidish. Totally. And there's, there's actually algorithms that are being used to assess um, workers' competence via looking at things like micro expressions that people display when they're asked a question, for example. And these types of, of algorithms have already shown to um, interpret emotions differently by race as one example, right? Because a lot of facial recognition software really struggles um, with, with racialized people's faces with darker skin tones still. So it's, it's super problematic. Yeah, one of the things, I won't mention the bank, but I was talking to a very, very large US bank. And one of the things they said is they're actually afraid right now to let their machine learning and AI go loose because, and they use the example you and I were talking about over the weekend, which was the Apple card, right? Like they, the algorithm went ahead and gave the husband in the relationship you know, twice the amount of credit as they, did, as they did his wife and she was the breadwinner in the family. Right, because this algorithm, as you've been talking so much about, has had this bias. What what should these organizations do in that case? Like they they need they know they have a need for machine learning and AI to play a role in their organization to help speed up and create better consumer experiences. But at the same time, now they're scared to do it. Like, what should they be doing? Well, I mean, I, I much prefer those who are um, unnerved about it, right, and, and less cavalier. Um, I think there's a bunch of different things we can do, right? Um, one is is really just getting beyond the idea that um, because something is, is 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 sort of like a tech and innovation, that it's it's necessarily objective, right? Like we need to sort of get rid of that that fairy tale. Right, that that technologies are are more objective than people, um, and we really need to unearth like the process behind it. Right, that ultimately, you know, these solutions rely on data. That's our historic data, right? Data sure. of our histories as humans. Yeah. Um, that reflects all of the good, all of the bad, everything in between, um, and that they're also then in, in real time shaped by us as humans. Right, how we interact with them, like the questions that you type into Google search. Right, all of these things right. shape shape them in real time. Um, so, so I think like lifting, lifting that guise of objectivity and, and understanding that really it's just people who shape the products and uh, that there's, well, it's ultimately up to us. Um, also, I think making sure that you have a really diverse team, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's certainly not enough to worry about like gender parity when it comes to these teams, right? I don't, I don't, I don't really care about gender parity anymore. I want to see teams that, are you know filled with folks who are, who are newcomers and immigrants and folks with different types of disabilities and trans folks like mm -hmm. get beyond the gender conversation right like there's so many other people who are missing at any given table um and and the better and the more robust of a, a team that you can build i think you have a better shot right at, at data and at training sets that are are more robust more thoughtful more diverse um you know perhaps never wholly objective but you'll you'll have a better shot at it um, and then having guidelines, right? Ethical standards around like sure. how we even conduct these processes in the first place. So, uh, you know, I, 
what, what are some tactical stuff that you think you know, or an organization should have? I know some of the so some of the points you gave me was like take a look at your job description, descriptions, take a look at your hiring practices, and and what that flow looks like. Um, even your communication out on social and everything you do. Um, what are some tactical things that organizations should start doing like tomorrow? They don't even need to call you. They should just be able to implement these things. Like orgs that are looking to be more thoughtful around yeah. diversity inclusion generally in not just like in their product, right? Like in yeah. just sort of across the board. Across yeah. the board. Yeah, I think, I mean, a really good place to start is always with your data, right? Um, I like, I'm a big fan of, of quantitative surveys, right? Having really thoughtful questions relating to diversity, equity, inclusion, um, but then pairing that with a really robust demographic question set. So many organizations that we chat with have only gender data or only race data or maybe only age. And, mm -hmm. and I, like that doesn't get you anywhere, right? Like we're all more than just our age. We're more than just our gender, right? We're all like really complex beings um, and we all have multiple and intersecting identities. So um, get your people's data, build that trust and get that data and, and understand what's actually going on um, and where the fires really are at. Because once you, once you have that, um, then you can actually be really strategic. Uh, from our perspective, we don't, we don't want organizations to have to spend tons of money. Um, we'd rather give them like, you know, three really clear areas that they need to focus on for, you know, you know the next six months or, or two years. And the best way to do that is, is getting input from your people. I love it. I love it. Um, before we let, let's get to like, what are some of your closing thoughts? Um, I know we're coming to the top of the hour. So like, what are some of your closing thoughts on, on what, what, what people should be doing when they should be reaching out to Sarah? Um, you know, how they should handle even when they have a crisis within their organization, what should be some of the steps they should take overall? How would you, how would you close up this conversation? Cause there's a lot of content and a lot of tactical stuff that I thank you for, for sharing. Yeah, I'd say, you know, every organization is is going through their own version of it right now. Um, because at the end of the day, diversity, equity, inclusion related work, this is just social justice work that's, you know, we've renamed and, and translated into like a palatable way, right, for organizations to actually sort of hear and engage with. And so it's not going to be easy. It's It's actually really messy. It's going to get weird. And that's okay. Um, I think a lot of organizations are worried about doing things perfectly. And there, there is no sort of perfect path with this. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I'd say it's, it's also, I, I find it a bit disheartening sometimes because we see so many really thoughtful tech leaders who are, you know, all about innovation and iteration and, mm -hmm. you know, pivoting and all these great words. Um, yeah, they don't apply those, those principles to how they approach their, their diversity and inclusion efforts. Right. right. It's not gonna be perfect. You're gonna have to iterate. You should, you should do it the same way. And you know, I mean, I think totally. I think one of the things being a CEO is like, if I roll something out for my employees, it better be perfect. Because um, you don't want to ruin their experience, and you don't want to do anything to to harm them or break the way you're working, or even be scared to be like, hey, I may open Pandora's box of the unknown. But it's okay if you put your heart and the tent to the right place you know, your employees will come on the journey with you and they know you won't get it right the first time and that's okay. Totally. And I think like building out really like, you know, the most pot, like the best possible channels, right. For people to give you that feedback in real time. Um, I think as leaders, one of the, the 
smallest things that they can do to make things a lot easier for themselves and the rest of the organization is to not get so defensive, right? Like you're going to hear all of the things right now. That's okay. Like when you, when you really kick off these types of journeys in an intentional way, not everyone's going to be happy. That's okay. Um, I I'd rather you, you know, you start somewhere and you move forward, right. Then, then let the idea or the, the fear of, you know, not doing it perfectly or that you're going to get called out to stop you from even trying in the first place. Sure. Sure. Um, what about, in th- well, what about with technology? What's your closing on technology? We talked about AI tech, um, you know, what in closing, what would you like to summarize about all the stuff that you, you we've, we've just talked about? Mm, I think that, oh gosh, you know, and technology, like another app, like that's not going to save us. It's not going to correct for, you know, years of systemic and inequities and, and the ways that people are hurting. Uh, we have to remember that we're in the initial stages of AI and zeros and ones, and we need to view it as as that, right? Something that's very much in in its infancy. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's a huge piece that technology and innovation will only be sort of powerful when when everyone's actually empowered by it. And we're a very long way away from that right now. You know, I talking to you, um, and most of the times when I talk to you about these things, I gotta say, I, I'm very optimistic of what the future is gonna hold. I think most and majority leaders and organizations want to do and and do the right thing and really, you know, lead with their heart in the right way. And they just have been taught and almost programmed to do things a certain way and they gotta come out of their comfort zone to go and do this. And I think with more and more people working with you and listening to you um, and others who, who actually, you know, talk about DNI initiatives in this way, really start to wake up um, a lot of the executives who listen to this podcast and say, Hey, there's more we can do and what, and, and where, where we need to start there. So Sarah, I want to thank you so much for joining us, but I don't want to let you off the hook on that restaurant. I'll give you like a second to go Google the restaurant. Dave. Oh gosh. Yeah. Pow Wow Cafe. 213 Augusta Avenue. All right. Well, it's a date. You're taking me there. You just got to let me know when you take some time off your busy work schedule to eat, but I'm buying. Let's go do it. Deal. Deal. Uh, Thanks, everyone. And thanks, Dr. Sarah Saska from Femininity. Um, You can catch her at, what's your website? www.femininity.org. There you go. Um, Thanks for tuning in to the First Name Basis podcast. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great day.